0: Mike, Whitney, I want to thank you as a parish for the warm welcome. We attend the 11 o'clock most Sundays. We have been here with you once or twice, but it has been like coming home. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be always acceptable and proven in your sight, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Here on the second Sunday of Advent, we have great scriptures, great lessons to draw us unto God. Himself, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Three very simple lessons we learn from this morning's readings and lessons is that God desires a personal relationship with each and every one of us. Not a far off, not a distance. Ever since man's rebellion in the garden, God has been working to restore a relationship with us throughout history. God's purpose, and throughout Advent, as we prepare to celebrate the culmination of Christ's coming, of that plan to draw us into a personal relationship, is becoming a reality. On February the 3rd, 1943, the SS Dorchester set sail out of New York Heading through the North Atlantic, 900 souls on board, sailors, soldiers, airmen, all going to join the great crusade against terror, violence, and conquest of Nazi Germany. And as the Dorchester sailed through the North Atlantic, it had an unknown companion. A U-boat was in the same waters, and once the sea wolf found its prey, it released its torpedoes slamming into the side of the ship. That cold February day in the North Atlantic, The Dorchester began to sink. Chaos, panic, fear swept through every deck. The men came rushing out of the holes, searching for a life vest, a life jacket, a life raft to save the mortal soul. On board that ship were four chaplains, a rabbi, a Methodist minister, a Presbyterian preacher, and a Roman Catholic priest. The four of them came together, and in the middle of the panic, the chaos, and the desperation, began to shepherd and direct and guide every crew member to a life jacket, to a lifeboat that they could. Even at one point, taking their own life jacket off their neck and shoulders and placing it upon the shoulders of their shipmates. And as the last rowboat, Pulled away from the sinking ship, one of the officers later recorded that the last thing he saw and heard were these four chaplains, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, singing, hymns, and praying. How in the middle of chaos and fear and desperation can these four men have confidence and sacrificially give of themselves for their teammates and their crewmates? I think it's very simple. And we see the lessons this morning. They knew God personally. While one member of that four only knew the God of the Old Testament and the prophecy, three of them knew God as we do in the fullness of His redemption, in the fullness of His Son, Jesus Christ. They had hope. And in panic, they had peace. They found unity with God and with one another. So this morning, as we look at God desiring a relationship with us, from the very first moments, as I said earlier, of man's rebellion against God, God has been working this plan to restore the relationship. And in this morning's lesson, Paul reminds us of that. Listen to the words of the prophets, their own voices. In verse 9, we hear Samuel, And the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles. In verse 10, we hear David the psalmist, and again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And in verse 12, Isaiah, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles trust. See, God's redemption is not for the Jew alone or for the Gentile alone. God's redemption, God's relationship, is not for the prideful, the legalist, the poor, the struggling. God's love, God's redemption, the story of Christmas and the story of Easter is about God's personal Abba-Father relationship with you and with me. Even our darkest moments of rebellion and isolation, God gives us hope. God gives us peace. Now, we're facing an epidemic in the United States today, but don't panic. It's not COVID. <laughs> it's not the flu. The Surgeon General and the CDC have released a number of studies and uh, reports that the biggest epidemic we're facing is that of loneliness, isolation. And I'm not talking about those moments throughout the day where maybe the phone hadn't rung or I feel a little sad, a little pending, lasting, enduring loneliness i don't mean to meddle, but the statistics are clear for those of us that have reached that age of 45 one or two of us in the room may be there one in three say they have that enduring lasting heavy weight of loneliness and isolation it affects our physical health not just our emotional and spiritual sense of self If we have that lasting, long, enduring sense of loneliness and isolation, our chance of dementia rises by 50%. Our chance of heart attack goes up by 29% and stroke by 32%. But I love it when science proves what we know as Christians. Just last year in 2022, The University of Arizona released a report. They have been studying cancer patients and their caregivers and saying, what is it that we can do to give a higher quality of life while these people are fighting a deadly disease and sometimes getting treatments are just as bad or not worse? And they found and discovered for those people who reported a high faith, a practice of their faith, a significant higher quality of life than those with no faith, You see, God desires a personal relationship so that he can give us hope and peace in the turmoil of life. Because sometimes life happens to us. Cancer, a good example. No one asks for it. No one goes looking for it. Natural disasters. Our fellow Americans in Tennessee and Nashville are dealing with the aftermath of tornadoes last night. Multiple dead, homes destroyed, lives uprooted. Sometimes it's the action of others that impacts us. But we can still find hope. Matter of fact, to help you understand, C.S. Lewis, in one of his best known works, A Grief Observed, whenever his wife passed, he, he really worded it better than anyone I think can. No one ever told me that grief feels like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation of it is like being afraid. The same fluttering of the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning, I just keep swallowing. At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk, concussed. There's an invisible blanket between me and the world. I find it hard to take in what anyone says or perhaps hard to even be interested. Yet I want others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they would talk to one another and not to me. Death, sickness, natural disasters, the actions of others, can all leave us searching for safety and security that we can only find in the presence of God. But sometimes life, you know, we happen to it. It's our own actions, our own decisions, our inactions that cause the turmoil In the book Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning describes Christ's response to us when we are the ones that make those decisions and take actions that result in our own isolation, our own embarrassment, shame, or guilt. He reminds us that in first century Palestine, in the Judaism uh, culture, the class system was enforced rigorously. It was legally forbidden to share a meal with sinners who were outside the law. Sharing a meal with poor beggars, rich tax collectors, even prostitutes, was a religious, social, and cultural taboo. But Brennan goes on to explain that Jesus broke that taboo by sharing meals, by fellowshipping, spending time with, and walking with us in the messiness of life, just as his father had walked with Adam in the garden. Brennan writes, By accepting them as friends and equals, Jesus was taking away their shame, their humiliation, and their guilt. By showing them that they mattered to him as people, he gave them a sense of dignity and a release from their old captivity. So no matter the storm, the chaos, the loneliness, the isolation and desperation that each one of us face at different moments in our life, God gives us hope. God gives us peace. And today's reading, Christ himself echoes, I pray his words will echo in your heart When these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads for your redemption, draw with nigh. No matter what storms of life we may face, know that God desires a relationship with you individually, personally. God desires to give you hope and peace. But God also draws us into unity. This last one's a little bit of lanyap, and If I haven't picked up from the accent, I am from the deep south. And when you live that close to New Orleans and south Louisiana, you pick up a little French. And so lanyap means a little something extra. And that's what's great about our faith is that we are drawn into a little something extra. And it's not just about the peace that I received, the redemption, the forgiveness, the restoration, the dignity, but it's the unity, the connection that we have as a community. And we experience the same blessing that Paul prayed for the church in Rome in today's reading. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one towards another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may be of one mind, one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love our Catholic faith. I love our Catholic practices. Today we've recited prayers, we've sang hymns, we've listened to God's word. Next service, they will share the Eucharist. This all connects us within the liturgical family globally around the world. But I think it's even more beautiful the fact that it's ancient and connects us to the earliest Christians. So there's a little extra for you today to remind us of the unity that God desires and can deliver for us. Listen to the words of St. Justin Justin Martyr. Just 30 to 50 years after the death of St. John, the youngest of the apostles, in the earliest days of the church, around 150 153 AD, St. Justin writes Having ended the prayers, we salute one another with a kiss, and then they are brought to the president of the brethren bread and a cup of wine mixed with water. And he, taking them, gives praise and glory to the Father of the universe through the name of the Son of the Holy Ghost and offers thanks at a considerable length. Must have been a Baptist preacher. <laughs> For being counted worthy to receive these things in his hands. And when the president has given thanks and all the people have expressed their assent, those of us who are called deacons give each other present to partake of the bread and the wine, and the mixed water over the thanksgiving was pronounced. And this food is called the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake but the man who believes in the things which we told true and has been washed by the washing that is for the remission of sins and unto regeneration, and who is living as Christ has enjoined. Sounds awful familiar to what we have done or what we will do. We are connected with the unity of the body of Christ. When we are facing the difficulties of this world, when we are facing uncertainty and chaos and the messiness of life, let us turn to our Abba Father and the relationship He desires to have with us so that we do discover the hope, the peace, the safety, security, and the oneness together with our fellow believers. Throughout history, today especially. May your season of Advent be filled with hope, comfort, and confidence. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.